This is Paul Nobles. I'm sitting here with Brad Dieter. We are doing an interview for our coaches course with Doug Chapman. Doug is, I'm going to actually let Doug introduce himself, but, uh, and I'll tell a, a quick story about uh, how the second time I met up with Doug um, that goes into my first time with Doug. But Doug, can you talk a little bit about your history with uh, training games athletes and you know how that came about and things of that nature oh it's kind of a long story um i started doing i affiliated my gym into like 2005 i've been doing crossfit since 2004 and i remember in 2007 when the, the game came out but oh, i don't really want to do that i'm more interested in taking average people and making them really good yeah, getting people healthy and stuff like that. And one of my good friends, Skip Miller, he had actually convinced me to actually put together you know, some, some training. He didn't thought it would be it would be a good fit for me. And so I ended up uh, 2009, 2009, kept playing around with some competitive CrossFit stuff. And then since then, I put about 40 athletes in the games and has quite a few podium finishers, um, individuals to masters. So. So, so for those that don't know, a lot, a lot of people within um, the CrossFit community know this, um, Doug is responsible for hyperfit training, which I would say, you know, it's always sort of dependent because it seems like a lot of the people that, that train um, these games athletes, uh, you know, they, they work with pockets of people i would say you know i can't tell you how many people i talk to on a daily basis that say that they do hyperfit now they you might not know who they are um but and they're probably doing it as a friend of a friend yeah i get my workouts from doug chapman and you know i do hyperfit because you know heidi does hyperfit but doug uh doug was actually the 13th affiliate is that correct yeah yeah yep. now we've uh Moved up to number nine because people dropped out. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, so that, maybe someday we'll be number one. Yeah, woohoo! Um, but can you talk a little bit about uh, you know hyperfit training and and a little bit about you know how you structured that because I think that in terms of the way that uh, you know the systems have kind of worked out, that's probably the most accessible system for regular athletes. I don't know if it's the most successful system uh, accessible because um, a lot of my peers, there's, there's probably about four or five coaches in the world that are really consistently going, sending athletes to the games and being at the games. And of those, that group, there's only two of us that don't put out free blogs. Everybody else captures people through free blogs. I don't put any of my, my training out for free. And part of it is, is I think of it as, is like, uh, you're a gun owner, right? And you got a child in your house. You don't leave your gun laying around so your kid can play with it. And essentially, if you're doing full-on games-level training, that is a that's it's not a consumable product that you should buy off the shelf, you know. And then it's funny I'm really addressed the situation where you're talking about like people are doing this. I don't know it. Chances are I do know it because every one of the athletes that I coach has my personal phone number, this phone number you guys are talking to me on, they have that number. So it's 734-730-0188. If they want to call me, they can call me or text me. And if, uh, if they stop call me or text me and I don't like what they send off to them and ask me back. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, that's one of the things that's very different. I don't want to have, I have about 250 total athletes um, that are signed up for the program. And, um, I don't want to have 10,000 people charging three or 10 bucks a month or whatever it might be. Part of it is, is I think that without, you know, screening people prior to having them do really, really high infection, I think it's my practice, you know, personally, that's me. Yeah. So I, I can just see like Doug sending hate emojis to people, <laughs> you know, through text message right now. Um, we have a Facebook. Yeah. yeah so, so yeah, the uh, so I, I'll talk a little bit about uh, you know how we became to be friends. Um, I I did my level one 
when I did my level one, there was less than a thousand affiliates. It was like five, six years ago. And, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much, you know, in, anyone that was in my level one or taught my level one became like a who's who within CrossFit. And, you know, there's the stories, you know, I've, I've talked about it so many times, but, you know, I had like no business being there, you know, and trying to get my level one. And uh, I had never done CrossFit previous to that time. And, and I just remember Doug and, and Chuck, um, you know, Chuck Carswell, right? I, I always feel like I might get his last name wrong. Chuck Carswell. Yeah. On the planet. Oh, Chuck! Chuck's a great guy. You know, I've actually seen Chuck a couple times. You know, since then, and uh, you know, I'm like, man, you know, there was no reason you needed to be as nice to me. You should have kicked me out the door. Like I would have kicked me out the door. You know, I had no business being there. But uh, but the uh, you know, after a weekend of being the demo guy and and doing jumping pull ups for Fran and stuff like that, uh, I did ultimately obviously land on my feet and 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 do things that uh that seem to matter but uh i met doug or we met doug about five years later at the unstoppable seminar with uh, chad wesley smith who is also going to be one of the guests here real soon and uh doug and i i guess we were roommates because we got paired up as like the crossfit people you know there's like olympic lifting people and and they you know and so doug and i just you know sat there and and sort of talk and you know um became friends and then doug you know i don't know how much this is going to come out but doug doug is the best storyteller you know, he will crack you up and you will never see where it's coming from, you know, so that's, that's sort of interesting. Um, so can we, can we talk a little bit about, you know, I, I like what you were saying related to um, gun ownership, because I think that that is, I think that one of the things that was a criticism that sort of got addressed this year in the open was that there were these really broad workouts and a lot of games level athletes would often complain in years past that you know they were being bunched in with like a lot of workouts that really weren't testing true fitness and last year was probably the first time where that started to happen where you started to see muscle ups um, in the open and things of that nature. Doug's squinting right now for anybody that's like, listen, it's like, Paul, you are saying the most stupid thing ever. Um, but, but you see it a lot with, um, you know, Wadpalooza, as an example, their, their workouts um, sort of seem, we didn't mention that you're the head coach for the Miami Surge in the, in the grid league as well. Um, but the, uh, um, and we can get into that as well. Um, but what I'm sort of seeing is like, you know, for Wadpalooza, they're, they're kind of in this middle area, right? They're trying to test the, the really fit people. Um, but they sort of want to go after like the average folks too. And, and so, you know, so they, they, they kind of hit both sides. Can you talk a little bit about how like the high level athletes, think of, you know, challenging their fitness, you know, compared, because I think a lot of people look at themselves and say, well, I do CrossFit. I'm just like that person on TV. And, you know, when you see it in real life or in your case, know these folks, you know, it's not similar, right? No, it's not similar at all. I mean, let me, let me step back and talk about a bunch of layers. Okay. One, you talked about the open, you talked about water blues up, talked about mindsets for training. The purpose, the way I see the open, the regionals and the games, this is the idea is that the CrossFit wants to create these tests that select the fittest person on the planet. Okay. And we also want to say that like one of the, the, the charters I want to send on is a charter in CrossFit, but which Glassman said the needs of our grandparents and our Olympians differ by degree, not kind. And so whether it's a movement patterning issue or whatever you want to think about it, people need to be able to do the same things and have the same movements because you have an Olympian in weightlifting, hey, I can snatch 
Does that mean I'm going to be an Olympian? No, absolutely not. What it means is, is that people with innate abilities, like things that we're kind of born with, um, get revealed here in our sports. And I think that, like, you know, I mean, Rich Running, the, the fittest guy on the planet for four years, right? But he didn't make it to the the, uh, the pro baseball career, right? He didn't make a pro baseball career. Where his his ability level matches what we do in CrossFit. And like any other sport, because you play basketball, you're not going to be a LeBron James. You're not going to be Michael Jordan. When you have, when you have high-level athletes, and this is my opinion from what I've seen, and it's also going to probably vent off a couple of my frustrations, is that people want to train for the games. And people don't understand how hard the top-level athletes are. You know, they, they work out day in, day out. I mean, China, like literally within a few days after the games this year, first of all, she wasn't hurt by the games. Like a lot of athletes work, she was trained to a high volume, a high ready state. Um, and she got right back on the training, right back on the training. And, um, and I think that, that that was very telling of her. And now back to the idea of selecting for the fittest person on the planet. Now, if you're going to set, select for the fittest person on the planet, you know, you've got this all-inclusive thing, which I can imagine is a huge problem from, from Justin's and, and Dave's viewpoint is that, okay, we want to make this all-inclusive because we want to make people understand that fitness is for everybody. But then once you get to regionals, then you start selecting people out. I think the open workouts are fine. And you start to think about the constraints that they have. They have to be able to be videoable. You have to be able to videotape them. I think not really videotape, we have digital video, which shows how old we are. Right. No longer have videotape. Um, they, have to be, they have to fit on a video. They have to be common equipment. They, I mean, those are the kind of parameters you have to be open. Regionals, now you have these this space, right? And they tend to be in these arenas. Let's call it 120 by 80 wide, right? So all of your collection process at that point typically has to sit in that space and has to touch them that area. Mm-hmm. Now, once you get to the games, anything goes. And so if you think about the whole season, open is like kind of like, uh, again, the camera. So if you think about a, uh, like an hourglass laid on the side, you've got everything in the world. And then you have narrowing down during the open, and then narrowing it down to nothing in the in the very narrow position in the regionals. And then back to the open, the games, it's going to be everything again. And um, and that would be I say I put myself before I criticize anything. I put myself into the position of the person who's making the decisions. Like what would I do? Before you bitch about something, before you complain, how would you do it better? And if you have a suggestion. Write an email to Justin Berger, Dave Castro, and I'm sure they'll talk to you. Uh, absolutely. You know, if you have an idea to make it better, I'll take it. I guarantee it. Well, I, so. I, I, I think that, you know, when you mentioned China, you're referring to China Cho, um, who, yeah, oh, yeah. who I believe came in sixth. Um, speaking of, like, really awesome people, um, my daughter goes with me to the CrossFit Games every year, and... Uh, um, coming out of the water event, um, she had on a pair of socks and China saw her socks and stopped and talked to her. And, um, you know, now, you know, my daughter is the biggest China Cho fan, you know, cause she spent like five seconds just being a cool. She's a China Cho fan. Yeah. I mean, seriously, she's, she's nice. She's got character. She's got charisma. She's a great person. She's a great athlete. How can you not be a China Cho fan? Yeah, no, but I, I have to say, like, I had not experienced, you know, I hadn't talked to her. She isn't one of the people that had crossed my path. Um, but after that experience, yeah, it, it, it was pretty enlightening. I think that uh, what what you're sort of talking about, I remember last year with the, the Open, and some of this stuff, you know, is, you know, mm-hmm. does feel so, somewhat personal. I don't know if somebody's phone is vibrating or something. Um, but the you know i remember last year uh the idea with the open is to sign up 200 you know i think they signed up 240,000 people and then the second workout or something had double unders in it um and a lot of people complained and i and i sort of agree with you i think you know like don't complain you know it's a really tough job to try and figure out um 
but at the same point, like what I was talking about with Wadpalooza, you know, Granite Games, these types of events, you know, one thing that I think that these events would would really help and kind of help the sport is to have kind of different levels. Like like you're describing, there there is no similarity to the CrossFit Games to what is done in a regular CrossFit affiliate. I mean, when we talk to people on a daily basis, Brad and I, one of the constant themes that we have to bring up to people is the amount of work and the idea of building work capacity. I mean, we could we could literally go for hours just on that topic, but the good majority of people, um, they don't think in terms of building their athletic base. They don't think in terms of, um, you know, that would solve a lot of the issues that they believe that they have, right? And so from a nutrition standpoint, we're always saying, okay, level of work needs to go up, level of food needs to go up, and, and things of that nature. And so I think that uh, you're right. I think that uh, it is a difficult job. Um, I, I would probably say, you know, to Dave Castro and these guys, I think it should, I, I honestly feel like it should be two different levels. You know, um, if we're going to have scaled athletes, you know, and we're going to encourage scaled athletes, then, you know, like, let's just, you know, have them involved. Like, I, I think you probably know John Swanson from the, from the Granny Games and, and um, what they do with Friday Night Lights um, has been kind of a big thing to the affiliate community. And what's neat about doing that event in real life, you know, I've done it at his gym, is that every athlete is sort of celebrated but there is no there is no um comparison i mean like the the best athletes they're the ones at the end and and the beginning athletes they're the ones at the beginning and so you know he's, he's go ahead this is an analogy right yeah what happens like i took my kids ruffling yesterday right and you're at catholic central that crosses the coach is amazing right my kid is in his second year of doing wrestling. He doesn't know position, he doesn't know the moves, he's doing offense stuff, right? He's wrestling, okay? My other friend, coaches at the University of Michigan, Sean Bormat and Joe McFarland, they recruit the highest level guys. They actually have a Olympic training center at Vanna up in at the University of Michigan. Now, I want you to imagine you take a process for taking Hunter from, from zero, from being a beginner athlete, to wrestling in the Big Ten or wrestling in the NCAAs into a six-month window. That's what's happening in the CrossFit Games. In the Open, you're selecting for that top pool, right? Beginner athletes all the way up to advanced. And then you have all the way from, from all the way to, to the Neil Maddoxers and the Ben Smiths and whoever else is out there at the Web Liberty. And... Um, you know, and we're selecting the process. The difference between a profit, it's all done in one season. So we have a season, so some, in February or so, we're probably going to have the open. And then March will probably end it, and probably in May sometime we'll begin the begin the regionals. So guess what? So you go from the league, which is the open, college, which is the regionals, or the national qualify, to the games, which is the NCAA or the Olympics. All in one season. And that's the different perspective you need to have is that if you cater to the lowest common denominator all the way through, you don't end up with the fittest person on the planet. I think what they're trying to achieve is that selection process. And our perspective is, is traditionally sports, um, hey, you know what? You spend six or eight years going up through the ranks, and maybe you win the, the state title in wrestling. And then you maybe go to a college. And then maybe you go on past college. That takes 12 years, so 10 years or 8 years, whatever the number is. We're doing this. Somebody who is starting today in my gym can participate in the Open regardless of it. Like, who cares if they feel bad because they're not as fast as China Joe or Camille or whomever else is out there. 
you know, they need to worry about is the fact that they're getting healthier by competing, not worrying about, am I, am I being, am I having my butt rough by day cash because the workouts are easy? No, fuck that. That's stupid. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's fine. Well, the, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I'll just tell you, like, I disagree with you. Like, I, I think I think that, you know, including double unders in a scaled workout compared to single unders, I don't think that it vastly changes things if we're trying to encourage scaled athletes. What I think we both agree on in a, in a gigantic way is that uh, having more athletes participating, the fact that there's only 240,000 people signing up for the open sort of pisses me off, right? If you're, if you say that you're a CrossFitter, you should be in the open, right? And so in my view, you know, when, you know, I just did the Granite Games a couple weeks ago, and that was kind of my ascension to where I'd sort of started off. I mean, like I started off as, you know, just a guy that was on the couch and, and, you know, uh, I did my cardio, started playing around with weights, and then all of a sudden I show up at my CrossFit affiliate, and my my CrossFit gym owner, which is hilarious, is similar to you. Like you know, it, it, it you know the mentality is like, okay, let's just get better here, dude. You know, and uh, you know, being four years in into the process, I really genuinely feel like you can't say that you're a CrossFitter if you aren't trying to compete at some base level that whatever that is for you, you know what I mean? But like so what the saying is, so let's put some perspective, right? Yeah. What the saying is in order to be a crossfitter, you have to participate in the open. That's, that's like saying if you're going to be a Democrat, you have to believe in socialism. You know, it's the same <laughs> analogy, you know, Hey, hey bro, I want collective, collective ownership property. I'm a Democrat or, you know, or you can be a flavor of Democrat. You can be a Southern Democrat. You can be a Northern Democrat. Now, let's stop and think about your scaling opportunities, right? Should a high-level plyometric, which is a double under, is that appropriate? Our, our exercise physiologists probably say no, right? Should a high-level plyometric be applied in high repetition to a beginner-level athlete? I would say no. Absolutely. And so, now let's stop and look at our perspective for beginners. You know, within the open, I mean, I didn't even look at the, the scale part because that's not my business. My business is producing people to go to the CrossFit game. If they want to have Hoover hoops on, on, on skates as a scaled event, I'd like to see the upscale then. <laughs> <laughs> One-legged skating hula hoops with one over your neck and your hips. Well, there's a, there's a point where you stop testing fitness and you, 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 you step back with the other perspective, right? If these kids that come out of, like, I love it, like my community is really kind of an interesting community. The one side of it, we have a very wide distribution of type of economic, socioeconomic backgrounds and things, which I like a lot because um, <coughs> kids are exposed to a lot of different stuff, which is good. They can make good decisions, hopefully. Now, you can have a kid that grew up in a trailer park that doesn't have any money. Mom and dad are, you know, divorced, separated, whatever. That kid can make the NBA the same as the kid that came from the blue-collar family or the white-collar family or whatever, if they have the work ethic and talent. But ultimately, what are they trying to do when they make the NBA? They're becoming professional entertainers. When you qualify for the games, you are a professional entertainer. The games are there to entertain. We are all participating, but they are there to entertain. You know, you go there, there's drama, there's somebody getting hurt, falling off a thing. So, you know, all of that stuff, there's a whole lot of story there. And that's what it is. And then what I think that the big beauty out of it all is you have this big story that people can identify with. If we're talking about the application of the story, now we're talking about the content of the story. The content of the story is, is that we're getting everybody to watch this stuff, try to be fitter overall, get them out of the health system, save money long term, decrease diabetes, increase, like you're, you're focusing on people's eating. People who change their eating, they're going to be a shit ton healthier. And we change them exercising, they're going to be a shit ton healthier on top of that. Now, we take 100 million people out of our healthcare system because they've been exercising, and what happens to our consumables in their healthcare system? Drops down a shit ton, everybody saves a lot of money, the world's a better place. The stage that is the CrossFit Games, and it's a stage, 
was there there to perform and entertain. Pegboard, entertaining, wasn't it? People bitched, or people loved it, hated it, whatever it is. We talk all day about a pegboard, whether it should or shouldn't have been there. But the fact of the matter is you are entertained. Is the gladiator cutting the head off of the other gladiator? Are That's you all it is. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think that uh, a lot of the, um, you know, I, I seeing it in real time, you know, and seeing what, what you didn't see in the broadcast. I actually watched the broadcast this weekend. And what you didn't see in the broadcast was the amount of athletes just standing there doing nothing. Because, you know, as a poker player, it was a really interesting um, comparison because, essentially they all became poker players all at once right so um sarah sigmund's daughter you know she's trying and then Catherine david's daughter she's trying and then you know they would look over at the other person and they would see well this person isn't trying and then all of a sudden they started doing poker in their head and they're like, well, if she's not trying and I'm not trying and ultimately we're not getting up to this pegboard, we're just going to stand here. So then you see her, you know, both those two gals, Emily Abbott, all the people there just standing there. And it was amazing being there in the in the arena with ha having the best athletes in the world essentially quit, you know, because it was just something that they, they couldn't do. So. Tactics, right? Tactics versus strategy. Understand this is that I talked to China before she went over to the event. She climbed up a pegboard. She climbed up one time and she stood around and made sure that whoever climbed up the pegboard can be up there. Margot Alvarez flogged herself and destroyed herself in the last workout. I told Brooke Wells before we went out there that Brooke, go and give it a shot. If you can't get up there, you stand there. You're going to feel stupid, but stand there. And you know what? She crushed the second part of the workout. The reason why Sarah Sigmund Donner didn't win, and we could turn this David Donner, is I think that whoever was coaching Sarah didn't have that poker face or that strategy in there at the beginning. Whether it was her or somebody else. Sometimes, by the way, these athletes, they knew what the fuck they wanted to do, regardless of what you say as a coach. <laughs> you can tell them. I think it was coaching, right? Once, once they got on the floor, it's kind of... Well, it's like LeBron. It's like LeBron James calling his own plays. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, dude, I appreciate what you're saying, but you know, I'm doing what I want. A good friend of mine played with Harbaugh. Played with a pro football player, and uh, and he used to coach college football for a longest for a long time. And old boy said to me one day, "Why'd you get out of coaching? He's now like now an insurance guy, right?" And he said, "He said I got tired of putting my life in the hands of 18 year olds." And you think about it. Here you go. You take a coaching job. Like this is the thing about the surge, right? You got all these students, these athletes that I don't coach, right? That I don't coach all year round. They don't take. They don't coach. They coaching, right? And then all of a sudden, I have to hang my reputation on their performance. And half of them are doing their own thing. Half of them are just waiting to go off the window. And then I recruit about a third of the team are my athletes. Next third, next next year, we have another third of my athletes on the team. And hopefully over a year or two, it's like a new college coach, right? You come in first year, you kind of clean house the guys you don't like anymore, and then you kind of go through and you replace them. And that's kind of what it's going to be, if they keep me, because I pretty much told the owners this on the phone, that is who I plan is, and they're more worried about potential selling tickets than they are winning. Yeah, like the idea. So, yeah, the idea, which actually, uh, Justin, I mean, I know a little bit about like the DC brawlers and stuff like that. Sort of what you said is sort of how they did it. Like from from jump, you know, they thought what's going to make us the best team. And, I, you know, I don't know if they ended up winning this year or not. Honestly, I haven't followed it. Yeah, that they hard. did. Okay. Justin did a great job. I mean, you know, I mean, I thought he did a great job. One thing that was really cool um I think about what he does is is he gets the guys all around his team. From what I understand, I know how, how true this is, but that's what I understand, is that they all eventually get on his program. They get a, his program and they get out, more or less. Yeah. And and part of it is it's not that the programs are that much better. I don't think there's that much difference between the, all the high-level coaches' programs. I don't think there's that much wiggle. There's that much difference. But I think that... Um, I think that the difference is, is that getting feedback and knowing what your athletes are capable of. Like right now, the only way I keep track of my athletes that are on the surge is via their Instagram. And I have about a third of, about half the team now 
they're on my program, which is nice because they're supposed to be logging your scores on Beyond the Whiteboard and doing the things they can do. So I can know if their strength numbers are good or whatever. I'll know how to use them better next year. As opposed to, you know, I hate to say it, it was like Russian roulette for me to pick, be able to pick people because some of them didn't turn the testers in, some of them did. Yeah, it was really an it, it, was, it, was a, it was a very educational thing, and I did the whole the whole season as more or less pro bono, you know, to kind of learn from it. Which next this year is not going to be pro bono because it was it was just way too expensive time wise um, to do without getting paid really on it. Yeah, it's kind so. of interesting. I I love the concept of grid. Um, I think the. The two hour shows and stuff like that, that feels a little long to me. Like, I, one of the things that's sort of interesting about those shows, and it sort of talked to your, your, you know, metaphor related to, you know, entertainers and stuff like that. Um, when I watch those shows, I almost fast forward just to the part where, they're talking to the athlete and they're talking about that athlete's story or whatever, you know what I mean? Because some of the events, um, I think aren't as entertaining as the people themselves. Right. I mean, when you talk, no, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not diminishing the event, but I'm saying like, if you, uh, if you have a connection with the people, I think the event is more entertaining. Like part of the reason why, you know, we are all interested in the NBA is it's almost like a soap opera at this point because we know who these people are, even though they're, you know, much better athletes than most of us can be. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that, like, who's the guy that, uh, who's and blow guy, the new guy? Lamar uh, Odom. <laughs> whatever. You know what? How do I know? Why do I know that? I don't even like basketball, all right? Yeah. I, 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 you watch too the Kardashians. That's what's going on. Right. <laughs> all right. So. I don't, I don't want to know. I wish I could unknow who those people are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we don't. What have they ever done? Okay? Yeah. I mean, for work. I mean, they like, but the thing is, is that what you're saying, Paul, is that you're more interested in the human interest side of yeah. it than you are the performance side of it. Now, the way the grid was designed, I think it's brilliant. I mean, however Tony came up with it back in the day was. Um, you tell a story, right? You cannot really, it's very hard to blow a team out, right? One or another. So it's always going to come down to the last match. It's always going to come down to the last, I mean, the last setup, which, you know, if you have a buildup, right? Is so-and-so going to do the dumbbell snatches again? Is so-and-so going to do the clean and jerk? You know, um, that's an interesting story. People can relate to that. The human interest side allows the individual, the individual teams to have, um, drama to them. You know, you want to promote people on your team, but you know, and I think like the, the argument I think I, I think it is is that you you want to have local people because none of your matches are local anymore. They're all going to be done in various places. You know, so you don't really have any local draw, right? So who draws the most people? Who draws the most people to viewership? Why does NBC want it? You know, and that's what they're doing to frame the story. So I think it's a, an amazing thing. And it's really a great outgrowth or an outlet for athletes who are very good that won't ever qualify for the games or athletes that do qualify for the games to get additional revenue streams to them so they can really turn into professional athletes. Yeah, versus, I, th you know. I think a big part of the appeal for, for Grid is is embracing the specialist. You know, you're seeing a lot of people that you might not normally see um, you know, at the CrossFit Games, just because they have a more varied um, level of fitness. But it, I want to come back to something that you said because um, I actually had this conversation the other day because we were talking. We're actually in the period right now with most of our um, games athletes where we're having them uh, start to cut, right? N normally, you would come out of regionals, you would come out of, uh, of, uh, you know, the games, and then, you know, you're, you know, working on your strength or, or work capacity at this point, um, but mostly like strength, then we'll have them cut right around the holidays. And then going into, you know, January and stuff like that, the, the work capacity is obviously rising. But if we have an athlete that's, you know, um, let's say, 195 pounds, 
and they think that they could compete better at 185, you know, we would have them cut during this period. But what was interesting, as I was having this conversation with one of our athletes, I said what you just said. I said, you know, it's funny because you're, you're, you know, every time we talk, you know, I have to be the bad guy, right? I'm the guy, you know, telling you with the food and things of this nature. And like, you know, we're getting sent, um, you know, these workouts and the, you know, these massive workouts. And we, you know, we have her doing HRV and, and all this other kind of stuff, kind of testing, um, you know, stress levels. And I said, I never get to be the good guy, right? <laughs> like, like all, all I am is constantly this guy, you know, like the coaches, like you were saying, you know, you're trying to make a better team of a bunch of individuals that you're only really meeting up with for a short period of time. And what I'm saying to this other person is rather than looking at, you know, this eight to 10 week window where really, you know, that's what we're supposedly doing for that athlete. I'm saying, let's look at it as 365 days a year. Let's quit looking at it as the only value is you weighing less, you know, because there is certainly value as it relates to strength, you know, in weighing more on occasion, and, and things of that nature. And so, yeah, it's, 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 you're always, when you're in this business, it's going to be always tricky. Okay. Yeah. Here's, here's the reality of where we're at right now. We kind of know CrossFit's a season, right? And you have this, you know, you have the open, you have the regional games. Rumor is, is that they're going to have to make the athletes choose between grid or games this year. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. I think it, I think it might be that way because of, viewership on NBC. That being said, if that's true, I would totally see a whole lot of mid-level generalists come into the grid and that's where a lot of the games athletes get out because um, they have to track their motivations. Their motivations are, if you're, it's the difference between, you know, playing in Europe and making a lot of money or sitting on the bench in the United States. Okay. You know, you, you can, you you can play on the bench, or you can play a lot in in, in Europe, or you can come here. Choice, and that's the choice the athletes are going to make. The big show is the games, no question about it. The secondary show, or secondary opportunity, is grid. Now, grid, in my opinion, needs to learn how to be make money, and so contract sponsorships, whatever. But I don't really from the athlete's perspective. If an athlete has to choose between the potential of being in the big limelight, being on Broadway, or being off Broadway, what are they going to do? Broadway. Broadway. They're picking Broadway. Broadway. Now, if they have to choose, I already talked to my athletes about it, they're all going to leave the grid if they have to make a choice. And I don't want to see that happen because I want the grid to succeed. And so however that, that the powers that may be that are behind the scenes making this happen, they're going to make choices. Um, they asked, you know, basically I was asked, like, you had to choose. I'm like, I don't have to choose. I can do both. Um, that's not a problem for me. Because I'm not the one worried about peaking or, or, or what have you. And honestly, it's this season, from my perspective, um, we do a few personnel changes on, on our team. And you know what? We got a team that can win, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, that if I don't get the support I want, then I, I won't be a part of it. If I do get the support I want, I will be a part of it. Um, and that's it's as simple as that. So going back to the games, you know, you're talking about you, your your concept of the season. I totally disagree with you. Okay. You don't have a strength period. You don't have a a you know conditioning period. You have to here's here it is. Here's your level of homeostasis, right? This is where your homeostasis is for the games. If you let this happen. You have to be up here the next year, and so how, that's a much larger, much larger difference. So think about this: is that training comes off the game, takes a week off, starts training again. She keeps rising in her ability level. Now, if she takes weeks off, weeks and months off, now we have to make up for that that that, that gap in performance. Stimulus, response, then get adaptation. If you're at a high level. Where you're changing your level of homeostasis for the entire year. 
And that's what you're like for a game to operate. That's what you have to do. There's none of this. You don't need to be. You need to be strong. You need to be fit. And you need to be conditioned the entire year. That's why I think that nutrition is even more important than you think. Because um, if they're not eating the right amount of calories, they're going to get hurt. That's what I see on the athletes. Yeah. So when the athletes haven't been eating enough food, we talked about this with Julie last year. One of my pet theories is, is that uh, I would like to see it like both seen her add another 500 calories a day to her to her diet. I actually talked to her about it. I actually talked to you about it when you came to our training camp. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. And no, you know, and actually, I just want to stop you for just a second because honestly, like I agree with what you're saying. Um, I, I there's very little thought process that goes in my head related to what coaches program. What I'm saying is that having an athlete cut, as an example, closer to regionals or closer because because there there's going to be, you know, some level of you know, um, specifics that have to happen with nutrition. Um, and so I like them to do that kind of at least six months out. You know what I mean? Like I don't want them anywhere near where the competition season is. And so that's, that's sort of my thought process. But it, it depends on the athlete, right? I mean, because, you know, if you look at China as an example, my suspicion is that her weight, is fairly close to where she's going to compete today, right? And so the farther you are away from that, the more you have to deal with it, which ends up being kind of a net negative. If you look at boxing as an example, used to be with boxing, um, you would have these athletes and they would, you know, they would gain a lot of weight, right? And then they would lose a lot of weight and they would rehydrate up. And now if you look at, you know, we can, you know, the, 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 the problem, even as I'm saying it, the issue of performance enhancing drugs comes up. But if you look at Manny Pacquiao or if you look at Floyd Mayweather or these guys, and let's say, let's assume that, that, you know, there is no performance enhancing drugs. They are testing those, okay. those guys, <laughs> right, right. But those guys those guys are staying around the same weight the good majority of the time. And that is what boxers are finding. They used to believe that having this huge advantage and then rehydrating up. Meanwhile, Floyd Mayweather is staying right close to, you know, 147, you know, and then he's beating up on the 162-pound guy because that guy's, his training has had to vary too much. It's sort of similar to what you were talking about with homeostasis. You realize that at one point in time we thought the world was flat. <laughs> right. What people used to believe, I mean, come on. You know, we, we used to think that socialism works. It doesn't work. Look at look at look at look at Russia. Okay? There's fucking <laughs> meltdown, right? You know, and now the next thing is is now it's gonna be Sharia next, right? Everybody's gonna be in Sharia and then it's gonna oh that fucking sucks too. We go back to <laughs> This topic. is gonna make the most interesting podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, homeostatic place, whether you're a wrestler or you're a boxer or whatever, if you're having large, we, I remember when that used to be. Now wrestlers tend to stay within a few pounds, maybe 10 or 12, maybe 10 or 15 pounds for a wrestler is, is close to being on weight. That's a workout and a half. You work out and a half, you're on weight without really dehydrating. But you think about how if you don't have like proper caloric intake for a season. Where is that where is that caloric deficit coming from? It's coming from somewhere in your body. And so you're having a catabolic effect on it. Neil Max is a fantastic example of this because he tracks all of his food via my fitness pal, which is which I think is fantastic. And if he gets less than five thousand calories a day, he gets injured. And it's funny, it's a correlation. You see you see some time where he's below that caloric intake and then he gets hurt. And then we gotta recover, right? So we go through this kind of rod robin. He needs to eat more so then he goes to um, get the it's funny, it's donuts. Donuts. Um, I would like to see my female athlete, regardless of size, you know, close to four thousand calories a day. Right. When you tell a girl that she's gonna eat four thousand calories a day, she's gonna hate you. They're very yeah, they're very resistant. Actually, you know what was funny is uh, I met Nick uh, Urancar at your uh, training camp there in February, and he talked to me. What now? 
He doesn't need enough. Yeah, well, one of the things that was sort of interesting, you just mentioned how he didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to, um, you know, his nutrition. And then he has these days where, you know, he just eats a ton. And um, I talked to him afterwards and I said, you know, you just need to be a little bit more planned out throughout the day. And he did mention, like months later, he said, you know, I did, I did listen to a little bit of what you said and it did help. You know, which was kind of a, a nice little nod. Um, the uh, the other thing in terms of five thousand calories, we have you know, uh, I'd say our roster right now is probably fifteen people, something like that, where we're working with games athletes. Um, and you know, we have probably a pocket of about five guys right now. Um, and you know, I would say as they start tracking, the majority of them are eating somewhere in the or they start off eating somewhere in the neighborhood of 3000 calories and they're like, you know, scared that they're going to gain weight and I'm like, what's going to happen to you is if you move from 3000 calories to 5000 calories, which is where you're supposed to be, your work is going to multiply, you know? And it was interesting. I remember having a discussion with one of the the other big names um, in in CrossFit, and he was talking about three tenths of a second, three tenths of a second. You know, three tenths of a second in a competition makes all the difference in the world. And he was sort of making the argument of why athletes didn't need to track. I would say a lot of the female athletes do track, um, but you know, many of the men don't. And I said to him at the time, I said, what if the difference is 500 calories a day? Like if we're talking about three tenths of a second, let's talk about five seconds because that athlete would be five seconds better if they had a better understanding of how much they need to eat to fuel great workouts. You know, I think part of it is it's sort of we, we, we talked about this earlier on where you talked about. Um, athletes and you use Rich Froning in baseball. Now that we've seen it, you know, kind of happen for a number of years, I think that most athletes, and I'd be interested to hear your perspective, they believe they need to be a certain size to win the CrossFit Games, right? And you sort of see like the certain size individuals. I think that's actually one of the, the great things about grid. You're seeing more varied athletes, you know, that are doing grid. Whereas, you know, if you're a CrossFit Games athlete, you're 5'10", you're about 190 to 200. That's the wheelhouse, right? For gals, it's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 5'6". I would say 145, you know, 140 to 150 that's the wheelhouse. That not to say that there aren't outliers, right? Because Sam Briggs won, Camille won. Those were both under 140. Um, even like Annie Thor's daughter, who is considered to be a you know bigger athlete, maybe even an outlier. I think she's only like 155 pounds. You know, so she's not necessarily like as big as most people think. What do you think about that concept? About the universal athlete size for winning? Yeah. I don't know. Um, well, it, it's fun. I think we have some. Who was the optimal baseball player? Nineteen twenty-three. Right. What do they look like? You know, that's where we're at with CrossFit. You know, in my opinion, and I think that, like, for instance. Um, you know, you're talking about biomechanics, you think about levers and size and rate of force development and all of these other things that happen about a mid-sized generalist athlete, okay? Um, how big is Ben relative to um, Rich? I think Ben's a little bit bigger, probably a little bit more, a little heavier, at least like my, my guess why I'm, they don't come over my house and I don't weigh him or anything like that, and that's right. not going to happen anytime soon. Um, but I think that there's probably a range because of, of size. There is. And maybe there's a sweet spot between 185 and there's maybe it's called one standard deviation plus or minus, you know, depending on that. They also think about the bias of the workout and also how they, they were prepared prior to it. I mean, you look at Matt Frazier. Matt Frazier is a little bit smaller 
But I mean, he was a, he was another case of totally, you know, dropping the ball at the end that you know high board. But I think that he's probably about really good size because his also strength to weight ratio from background from his background in weightlifting, plus his his efficiency and movement from weightlifting makes him a very dangerous competitor. Um, he probably should have won this year. Yeah. And, oh, I, I, yeah. I mean, you know, it, once again, you know, it, it's sort of interesting, you know, if, if he had the level of uh, information that Neil has relates to his nutrition, you know, and I don't know if he counts or doesn't count, but, but I don't know what Matt does. I'm just looking at him as a, as a, as, a as an athlete. I think, a, I think as a coach and coaching people to try and beat him is, I think about their strengths and weaknesses, opportunities and threats. It's simply this, is that strengths are, you know, these great this, this, and this. I think it's one of these weaknesses. If it doesn't get addressed, it'll show up in programming next year. And that's one of the things I think that you'll see out of athletes who are very consistent in performance and qualifying versus athletes who are not. You'll see athletes that, like, for instance, will have a variance between being in the top 10 one year and not qualifying the next. And why is that? And is is the programming addressing making them more utilitarian to the games level stuff, or is that coach missing something with the programming? Or is the, the other more an equally likely event is the athlete is undermining his coach's programming. Um, the biggest I mean exercise adherence between the morbidly obese to the fittest on the planet is ego. And adherence. You know, the, why, are, why are people obese? Because I was told to eat this way for so many years. This is the way it needs to be. This is the way I've always done it. I've all succeeded. And I would say that a lot of people don't understand what made them get to the level they're at, whether it be no. a game bubble athlete or, you know, somebody who was a couch potato. They don't see the cumulative effect and they don't look at, you know, like all of this training thing. Comes down to two things: stimulus, response. Stimulus, response. Either you you do the work and you make the change, and the changes happen, or you don't do the fucking work and you sit and watch the games on TV, and that's your choice. Now, the hard part about being a coach is, is we track and partially are not emotionally part a part of it. If the athlete will follow a program, they can succeed. If they don't, they're leaving it. You know, it's like a blind draw in poker. You love this. It's like this. I'm gonna put my hundred grand on the line. And I'm gonna say, okay, I'm gonna do this blind draw. I'm not gonna. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna bet. I'm not gonna look at the cards. Right. When you don't follow your program, that's what you're doing. And you know, the difference between being the center of attention, which a lot of people really watch why they get into the CrossFit games, is that they want to compete. But they also get they love the accolades of it. The hundred thousand, you know, Instagram followers. 2,000 or 3,000 likes every time you poop on the freaking internet. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's, you know, those are the, those are the realities of it. No, I mean, like, they start, to, they start to rethink what they're doing and they're wrong. Yeah. Like <laughs> we, we've had it. We just one, one second. I'll, I'll let you, uh, but I want to come back to a couple ideas, but no, you're 100% correct on that. I mean, we've had a number of conversations with people <laughs> And they're more interested in the fact that we have 1.25 million on Facebook than actually taking that 365-day approach and changing um, their their overall approach to the way they eat. We are running out of time a little bit. We have 13 minutes left to go. Um, so I want to kind of hit on some points. You say a lot of crazy shit, Doug, but I'm going to tell you one of the things that applies to athletes, but also applies to regular people is that ego and adherence thing, right? One of the things that Brad, you know, has seen me talk about in our staff meetings is people, people type, you know, they're typing on the internet, Paul, give me a plan, Paul, let me do this, Paul, do that, you know. And, and, you know, you just don't see the work. And to me, that's another form. We're not talking about, you know, sometimes we're talking about, obviously, high-level athletes. But your ego is getting in the way of you doing the work, you know, and and work matters. So, Brad, I, I, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? 
No, that was going to be my question to Doug because, you know, as a coach working with a wide variety of athletes and we see this, you know, I've coached sports for years and also in the nutrition piece, you can write the best program the world has ever seen, but it doesn't matter if nobody's going to follow it. So how do, how do you deal with trying to get people to actually do the prescribed work? So this applies to, you know, from Paul and I's perspective, you know, we can give you a nutrition plan, but if you do it twice a week, you're not going to get any results. You know, if your athletes only follow your programming twice a week, they're not going to get any results. So what if, what tips or tools or coaching techniques have you found that you can start to get athletes to be more consistent and buy into the program? Or more adherent. Yeah, more adherent. Exercise adherence and diet adherence are the key variables you know in training i honestly think about quitting coaching every freaking day i look up and i'm not exaggerating i'm like why the fuck am i wasting my time because i have you know you you get a good like here's here's the great thing i was so spoiled with julie julie's awesome the reason why julie is awesome is if i wrote it there she did it. So I knew what stimulus response was going to be for all of her training. Trying to show amazing. Nick Maddox, amazing. Consistently getting back to the games year after year. Do a shirt? Six years. Here's Neil Maddox. Bring the shirt to Maddox. Let's train athletics. Neil, we're going to Mexico tomorrow. We're going to go to a training camp. Getting the athletes to do it. So I started writing Mindset Monday on my blog. Start setting stuff up. Because what happens is this whole, like this is going to be on the internet, right? This whole broadcast, right? So some athlete somewhere is going to rethink their training approach because of what they hear and what we talk about. What had never happened before is, you know, hey, they do a webcast of what Iowa Wrestling is doing for preseason. And then you decide not to go to practice at Michigan because you think because I was doing it, we're going to do it this way. And then you have three or four guys go off and run, run a five mile or run a, you know, whatever it might be. That problem is the internet. Problem with internet, internet stuff is just it's too much information. People can't discern between good and bad. I had a kid recently join a program, right? I, like if you want to call it, send an email to me before you join the program, just send me a call, right? This is going to get back to the word we're talking about it here. This kid somewhere in East Jesus uh, sent me an email. I talked to him on the phone for a half hour. I, before he joined, he's not a games athlete. I talked to him because I want him to succeed. When I take an athlete on, I want them to succeed. That's all I want. Whatever your goal is, my favorite athlete, BC. She was in BC, British Columbia. She's been with me for a long time. Her goal is to someday qualify for regionals. She's been working her ass off. I love her. She works. She does me PR. She posts videos on PR. She's awesome. I hear it. This other kid, Who's on my training for three weeks sends an email says I'm not getting any stronger. Three weeks in. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! PR, two and a kilo snatch, you're a badass. Right. Bullshit. Bullshit. And you know, lo and behold, this program. I get really upset about it. I'm like, you know what? It makes me question whether I really want to deal with people anymore. Yeah. You know, when, like I'm just in Idaho. I, was, I asked about getting a cabin in the middle of nowhere. You know, I could just go hide somewhere. It would be awesome. Not talk to anyone. It'd be great. Because, you know, now I don't have anxiety. As I look at my, my athletes post their Instagram, and, I, and it's like, like, did you guys ever read the conversations with a would-be games athlete? I wrote. No. Get a chance to share that, Paul. Share that. I will. And then, and then share 2.0, which I just wrote, actually, on the way to Idaho. And uh, Idaho was fantastic, by the way. Freaking awesome state. I wish I'd be going with it. All right. Backyard. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, didn't you graduate? That's right. Yeah, my yeah, graduate. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. It was awesome. Oh, awesome. Well, check this out. So, exercise adherence. You know, I just keep, you know, I stand on that, I stand on that, that soapbox and pound the soapbox. So, so and so, hey, come on, dude, post your scores. Post your scores on behind the whiteboard. Let me know you're doing the work. So, if I don't see the post, I get, anxiety my freaking my guts wrap around my spine and i'm like okay this is not good it makes me a bad father makes me get upset makes me yell at people not what i want so because they're not posting because they may be doing the work 
but I don't know that they're doing the work. If I don't know that they're doing the work, how the fuck can I coach it? Right. So, so Chris Henshaw, a good friend of mine, right? Yeah. Works with almost all my athletes that are they're games level athletes, and a lot of people are not. You know what? He's the same thing. You just, just we just wash our hands at times and go, hey, they're uncoachable. If somebody's uncoachable, then that's the issue. If they can't share data, they can't log data. You're not really an athlete because unless you're all going to move to Ann Arbor and I'm going to have practices where I can work and monitor your results, it's not going to happen. So it takes a very special person. And I think it's why you see so-and-so gets, you know, the top 10 one year, barely qualifies and gets 30th in the next year. They have this huge variant. I don't know if it's the coach's programming. I don't know if it's an athlete injured. I don't know if it's their diet. It drives me freaking crazy. Yeah, it makes me question whether I want to be a coach every day, every day. Yeah, it's. It, I would imagine that it has to be a really frustrating thing. Um, kind of interesting, you know, as we we're trying to finish up here, that you brought up Chris Henshaw. One of the things that that uh, when we left that seminar with Alex, one of the things that I started incorporating was long endurance, and Chris Henshaw is a long endurance guy. And I'm telling you. Wait now? I'm telling you about okay. I'm telling you about that. It's a little secret. Right. But so so Chris, uh, as an example, um one of the things that uh, I started to think about in my training was, you know, I'm a business person, I'm a father, I've got all these different things going on. So I can work out three or four days a week. But as I was listening to Alex and some of the things that Chris talks about, um, for regular athletes, what I did was I incorporated long endurance. And so I started last year, you know, because I, you know, I'm like everybody else. I hate running, you know. Um, and so I started off at 30 minutes. And then, you know, this Friday is my 18 mile progression. You know, and and yeah, yeah, and so so you know, secretly the idea is actually just every Friday to have a long piece. What are, what are your thoughts on that? And I'm actually more interested in regular athletes, and here's the reason why: because I think that a lot of people only have an hour a day, right? And when we when we talk about amount of work. Everyone has one day where they can give up two or three hours. And I'm not talking about running. We could be talking about hiking. We could be talking about rowing. We could be talking about, I mean, I've done some crazy air dine sessions, Doug, that you probably wouldn't agree with. You know. But what do you think about long endurance? Because I think that it's a piece that more games athletes are, are adding to their training. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, I've been... It was funny, is we on the whiteboard did an article about how much we row. And the long endurance piece, we do a 10K row and a 5K row every week. So they're on a rower 10K on Mondays, Thursday should be a 5K. And the purpose is, is to get the long endurance in. The other side of it is I'm not exactly a big fan of running for high volume because people have, I mean, they have gait issues. They, if their gait's not right, you're going to have an injury run. It's just, it's just, you know it for sure. I mean, it is the most injurious sport there is. Running is it, okay? Um, they're going to have a workout that sidelines them because of running. Now, you can spend a higher running coach and fix all that stuff. I agree that you need to have a base conditioning. On the anaerobic side, you have to you reset your anaerobic side back to homeostasis and back to normal oxidatively. And so if you have an ability to process oxygen, or I like the idea that we're talking about with Chris is you find out where your VO2 max is, the lactate threshold relative to, and then where you start to use uh, carbohydrates as, as fuel versus fat as fuel. And those different zones of training can be hit. I think that's one of the things that a lot of athletes don't hit. Well, the coaches don't, maybe, I don't know what the other coaches do. So I, don't, I know I think about it and I worry about it, but um, I don't. I, don't, I can't. I don't want to speak to other coaches with because I don't know. Yeah. But I think that's something that athletes in general can use. You know, here's your treatment case. Like, remember the old like I've been around fitness business for a long time. 
Remember frequency, intensity, time, and type? Mm-hmm. That is the definition of variance, all right? How often, how hard, how long, and the type of exercise, whether it be weight-bearing, load-bearing, whatever it is, right? Now you, you, you categorize everything rather than doing monostructural weightlifting and gymnastics. Now you've got a way of reshaping it, right? How often, what's your frequency of exposure to long period workouts? And I think that that's the piece where when, when you find CrossFit, it's like, oh my God, I can get that. My workout done in seven minutes and that's all I need. Yes, that, that's absolutely true. And then you will stop having adaptations. And you need to have longer exposures to steady state stuff. I've actually, this year is my first year doing it. It's a secret. Don't put this up. Don't tell anybody about it. Okay? <laughs> I've been doing full hour, hour and a half rough walks. Yeah. Where part of it is, is that they're load bearing for an hour with 40, 50 pounds on their back and they're walking once every couple of weeks. Okay. My struggle is, is that enough exposure to create adaptation? I don't know. I'm, I'm sure it might be. I'm pretty sure it could be. Then we'll see. Okay. Now, the idea of not ha- having that load bearing thing is just it's steady state, non impactful in terms of plyometrically hitting the ground, striking the ground. Um, all of that is going to lead to a stronger systemic athlete. I think the longer things are absolutely necessary for fitness. The question always is, is how much time do you have? How often do you do it? If you right. do it every day, you're going to break. Right. You do it once a, once a month, you're probably you're wasting your time. What is the frequency of exposure to that, to that training stimulus to get the result? So to answer your question, they should be. Yeah, the um, we actually have to shut it down. Uh, but you know, it was it was well. This was the most interesting, um, just in terms of the way that we went. I did want to talk a little bit about uh, um, kind of the way that people um, should have done intranutrition workout for Murph because there was a lot of complaints about that, and I saw a lot of people just drinking regular water that I think they would have been better off if they had some level of carbohydrates, some level of electrolytes. And um, a lot of the athletes that complained about that workout, I thought Alex Vieta actually described it perfectly. He talked about uh, Ironman triathlons and how they are actually meant to hurt the individual, right? Like, and, and certainly CrossFit wasn't trying to do that. Um, they were really just trying to expand what the parameters for fitness are and i i think that they didn't get enough credit for that and i think you know in general you know it's kind of like what you're you're talking about people will focus on the one or two things that you say that's negative rather than all the the things that you're saying that are are positive but in general i think that the the complaints about murph was a lot about approach you know and if athletes had taken a better approach, they would have been better off. So um, anyway, I appreciate you being here, Doug. We will obviously chat at some future point again. I mean, we could literally go for hours. Um, yeah, it's great to meet you, Doug. Yeah, you just pulled Doug's string and he goes. So, um, well, I appreciate you doing this for us. And I think a lot of people are going to really be interested in the broadcast. Give you some sound bites, huh? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Talk to you later, Doug. All right, bye, guys. Yeah, for sure. Well, most people don't know it's morning, Doug. You're not supposed to give away that secret. Talk to you guys later. All right. <laughs>